0: Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick. And we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. So today uh, on Compassion Weekend, uh, I have two goals. Um, the, the first one is kind of already existing just because of the nature of the weekend. And that is just to share with you our global missions partner that's Compassion International. So that's kind of existing. You're going to understand it through the journey event. You're going to kind of see it as you go out there. And some of you know what it's about. But my the largest goal for me today uh, is not just about Compassion International, but really to try to help you engage uh, with compassion in your daily life, like how to process your own compassion, your own emotions, and how to live a life of compassion. Because it would be a travesty if you go up there and and sign up uh, to, to sponsor a kid and you got a bunch of compassion each week or each month as you sponsor that child, but you come home with no compassion. And you live your life with no compassion. You're, you're what we call compassion fatigued, and you've got nothing left to give. And so how do we do that? How do we live with compassion? And so compassion is just caring about, like I'm not giving you a Webster's Dictionary version of it, just caring about somebody else's hurt and pain, just, just having a sense of what's going on in somebody else else's life, be caring that somebody else might be hurting or might need something. And so to kind of process compassion, what I want you to see is how maybe complex it is now. Like if you think the way that we're innately wired for compassion and you go back to us even 200 years ago, humanity 200 years ago, compassion was kind of simple. Like I I, I saw someone in my village hurting and I had to decide how to help them. Like someone I knew was hurting and and I decided whether or not they, that I was called to help and take an action step because my heart was moved and I had to decide whether or not take an action step. So it's kind of a simple emotion. Do I help or do I not help? And you fast forward a few years and you start to get a, a bigger picture of the world and you start to get stories around the world through newspapers and understand like, Oh, there's a there's a bigger picture. So humanity had to start to cope with its compassion. Like, how do I respond to the earthquake that's around the world and I can't physically go there and help it? How do I respond to that moment? So humanity, all of us have to decide, all right, how do we respond to that? You keep fast forwarding and before you know it, we have a 24 hour news cycle in the 90s. We're day in, day out, we're inundated with the news around the world of tragedy after tragedy. And we're like, whoa, there's wars and earthquakes and all this stuff all over the world all the, all the time. This is so new and so crazy. It's like, no, now you're just hearing about it. Now you're finding out about the pain and the suffering around the world. And I think, and I don't know if this is... Uh, a technical, like this is something we've evolved or adapted to, but they say now like uh, one person, like one tragedy, one moment, it's a tragedy. You know, one life and it's lost, is a tragedy, but a thousand is just a statistic. And I think we've kind of adapted to process life that way because we can't handle the idea that 600 people died in an earthquake around the world. We can't handle, we can't process, we can't fathom the idea that a thousand people died from this tragedy, from this flood, from this issue. We can't really emotionally process that, but we can one, right? You you can with one, you can. So I think we've kind of adapted to be able to handle the largeness of, of our world. And then you fast forward to today and we got social media. So now we've got a world in which there's thousands of lives that we can see. I mean, you don't have to Google for very long or turn on the news for very long to find the next tragedy and to feel something and sadness about what's going on around the world and things that we might feel helpless to touch. And now it's like, well, okay, I've understood that there's a lot of big things happening. I can't touch it. Now I've got social media where I can see the individual's name. Like I, I've got someone on the other side of the state whose kid has cancer and I have to, I'm hearing their story and hearing their suffering. And I've got a friend that's in Nebraska who I used to go to school with who has an issue in their family and they're struggling. And now it's I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I can't contain. I can't process the world that's around me. And so you have a couple of options. You either try to fix it all. You try to solve it all. You try to you try to like carry the burdens of the world on your shoulder and fix the world around you. Or you're so fatigued, you give up and you have none left. You just get hardened and you're like, well, can't, can't be fixed. I just got to take care of me and mine and nobody else. But maybe there's a, maybe there's a middle road of understanding uh, action, to, to how to take action. Because like I said, I think we're designed to have an action step based on our compassion. I think we're designed to, to feel something and not just hold on to it. I don't think that like our human nature is designed to hurt for somebody else and then just suppress it, push it down and walk about our our daily life. That's not 200 years ago. That's not why we felt something. We felt something so we could do something. And so today I want to process through like how do we in this world in today's age, how do we process the the overwhelming number of emotions that we can feel, the overwhelming number of stories we can hear? How do we decide when to act? Because I'm going to challenge you today that. That compassion is an emotion, And, and we can label it like that, and we can talk about it as an emotion, but essentially, it's not compassion in my books, and I think even biblically, it's not compassion until it takes an action step. For me, this is not a technical definition. Like Webster would allow you to have compassion just as neurons firing or just as a dopamine rush or just as a feeling that you get from that compassion. That counts as a a technical definition. But I think a biblical definition and a practical definition is it's only an emotion. It's not really compassion. It's only internal until you act upon it. Until you take the step that you're called to take in figuring out when to take the steps God has called us to, when to take the steps we're supposed to take. Uh, that's the difficulty of today. That's what I want to process through. How do I decide when I'm supposed to act? And how am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do with the ones that I, I can't act upon, that I, I physically don't have the ability to, to fix or help, or, but I just know it's breaking my heart? How do I process that? And so to get there, there's a couple things I want to kind of cover as disclaimers. Uh, one is, uh, that as an action, it's, it, biblically, it's got to be an action. Like f- from a scriptural standpoint, there's no moment where it says Jesus had compassion without a corresponding action. So to have an emotion, I don't count it. I don't think the Bible counts it. It says, for God so loved the world. There's an emotion that he gave his only begotten son. There's the action. Every time the Bible describes an action of God or Jesus, it describes a corresponding action to prove to you that the emotion was real. You have faith you have works. You have an emotion. It's called to drive to an to an action. So, uh, what I want you to recognize is uh, sometimes how we respond is not the way that we wish we could respond, or the way we think someone needs compassion may not necessarily be what they need in the moment. Right? Some some of the greatest actions of compassion you can ever have is just sitting and crying with somebody. So when I say action. I don't want to just downplay it to you fixing someone's problems because that's me. That's my, I'm, I'm terrible at compassion uh, when it comes to just sitting with somebody, crying with somebody, being sad with somebody. I'm, I'm here to fix it. right? I'm here. I mean, like, what, what do we need to solve it? Like, bro, my, my mom died. Like, there's nothing to. But like, but how can I fix? Like, what can I do? We're going to pray for her, raise her from the dead. Let's do something. Like, I've got to do something. My action needs to happen. Like, I just I just need a hug. It'd be cool if you just gave me a hug. You know, it'd be cool if you just cried with me for a moment. And I realized I was really bad at this uh, when I was a youth pastor. And one of my students came in crying, like weeping, just all tears. And uh, she was like, you'll never believe what this guy said. And he said all these silly things. And I knew he, who he was. And she knew that I knew who he was. And I was like, well, he's ridiculous. Why would you let that bother you? That doesn't even matter. And, and one of my other leaders stepped in and just gave her a hug. And I was like, oh, that's how you do it. <laughs> That that's what she needed. She didn't mean (laughs) she didn't need me to explain to her why her feelings were dumb. She just needed a hug. Right. Like, why did you let that bother you? That guy's dumb anyways. Like, why would you let what he said? So so what what we have a, a problem doing sometimes is is wanting to fix or provide compassion in the way that we want to provide it, not necessarily in the way that they need it. Right? We want to come and fix it. We want to do it the way we want to. But to really have compassion means to care about where they're at and what they need, not what we want to do and how we want to fix it. Uh, it really came to life uh, whenever I used to do group trips. Many of you probably don't know, I, I did, used to do group trips to Costa Rica years ago. I would take uh, Christian schools and churches uh, through to Costa Rica six or seven times a year. And most of the time, uh, we would go to this area inside of Costa Rica that was full of Nicaraguans. And what happened is there was a Civil War in Nicaragua, and they escaped the Civil War and set up shop, basically, right next to the city dump. So they were almost all dirt poor. They'd been there for years. Some of them had actual floors, but most of them were literally dirt floors, dirt poor, meaning they had dirt floors. That's what they came to. So we would go to that uh, that community, partner with the church there, and help you know, do stuff. We'd do like carnival type games with the kids. We'd help build stuff for the church. We'd partner with the church um, to help that community out. And we would take mostly uh, these these kids from from like Christian private schools and, and they would be there and they would help and we'd have almost the same conversation. I probably did 20 to 30 groups to that specific location in Costa Rica, probably 20 to 30 groups. And without a doubt, we would do devotions at night and without, without a single exception. At the end, by the time we got to devotions, I said, like, what did you learn today? And almost, like, all the kids acknowledge this, but someone would finally speak up and say, those kids seem to have a lot of joy. they are like, yeah, yeah, process that. What does that mean to you? Why, why are you pointing that out? Like, well, and it and wouldn't always communicate like this, but something along the lines of, they seem happier than I am. Like, I've got the nicest iPhone, and when I turn 16, I'm going to get the nicest car, and they seem happier than I am. And it would start to dawn on them, and I would try to walk them through this process of understanding, like, oh, you thought you were coming here to fix them. You thought your compassion meant bringing the American dream to them, and you might have found out in the process that the American dream didn't make you as happy as you thought it did. You might have found out in the process that you needed them as much as they needed you. And you found out like, oh, I'm not here. I'm not here to save you. I'm here to partner with you. I'm here to love you well. I'm here to provide compassion and ask you first, what do you need? How can I help you? There's a whole book about this if you're interested in diving into it called When Helping Hurts. And, it's, and it really is the basis for our philosophy of missions and how we process how to do missions work and not try to come in as saviors, but just present the savior not try to come in and fix everybody's problems the way that we think they need to be fixed, but sit down and have conversations. Because in my opinion, real, like real compassion is not the same thing as pity, right? Like a technical definition of pity, uh, it, it might be the same as compassion. But the way that we view pity is to look down on someone's situation as though we're up here and they're down here. And we're like, oh, those poor souls, I pity the fool. That's an older joke. so." I'm even too young for that joke. I'm sorry. That was, that was I pity the fool. And our, our, we got an inner spirit of Mr. T that feels like we got to pity people. And for most of those situations, we might be the one that deserved the pity all along because we were fooled into thinking the new nice stuff would solve our problems. When real joy doesn't come from the newest thing, real joy comes from a spiritual connection to God and what he's doing in our lives and what we get to be a part of. And so understanding that compassion is not a savior complex, it's not fixing people's problems, it's not coming in to save the day the way that we wanna save the day, it's sitting down with somebody, caring enough to find out what they need, how we can help. And if it is, if you're like me, this is the hardest thing to hear, if it is just sitting with them, Even in the silence, crying with them, feeling their pain, that's the worst. Like, if I need to do that for you, I know I have to do that as a pastor. That makes me not a very good pastor because I'm like, I don't. How do I fix this? I'm going to pray. I'm going to keep praying. And sometimes that's all you can do. Sometimes it's around the world. And all you can do is feel that emotion and then pray and let God have it because you know you can't fix it. You know it's not yours. You know that you can't solve the world's problems. You recognize I'm not the savior of the world. I can't fix all the homeless. I can't fix all the foster kids. I can't fix all the poor. I can't solve all the health issues. I can only do so much. And God, I'm depending on you for the rest. And you release it. Like that's still an action step to let God have it and trust God with it. So how do we decide when it's ours, though? Right. There's there are moments where I think that they're supposed to be ours. Like it doesn't mean. So today I'm not trying to give you this out like, cool, I don't have to do nothing. Like just just cry with people every once in a while and then let the world kind of go to hell in a handbasket, if you will. Right. Just that's on them. That's not my job. No, no. There are moments where it's yours and it's time to step up. How do we process the difference? And the first moment or the first story in Scripture, I want you to see where that takes place is the story of the prodigal son. Uh, This story is found in Luke 15, and what happens is Jesus is telling a parable, and he's telling a parable to really give the idea of how God responds to us when we return to him. If you haven't heard this story, uh, there's two brothers, and the youngest brother comes to the dad and says, hey, I want my inheritance now. Like, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want my stuff now, which first off, if you're the dad, like, go back to work. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're gonna have to wait on me to die to get your money. But for whatever reason, the dad responds in a a way that says, all right, if you want that, that's fine. I mean, he's essentially kind of spitting in the dad's face. He's saying like, I wish you were dead now. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want my money now. It's super disrespectful. And the prodigal son's father does it anyways. Like, okay, no, no, I'll divide up stuff. I'll give you your money to go. The prodigal son goes off, and does, just spends his money in wild living. He's crazy wild. Then all of a sudden, a, a famine hits, and he's left kind of poor. He spent all his money, and he finds a job working with pigs. And if you understand like the context of their religion in that day, working with pigs was already dis, disgraceful. Like You were already in a position that the way you were raised is not where you're supposed to be because you're not supposed to be around pigs because they're unhealthy, they're unclean for you. And yet he's there, finds himself in the lowest of the low, and then he realizes... I'm so hungry, I'm, I'm drooling essentially over what the pigs are eating. That's how much I'm starving. And he, it dawns on him, it's like he wakes up and he's like, not even the lowest servant in my father's house lives like this, longs for food like this. I'll just go back and beg my dad. I'll just go back and just be a servant. Like he's, he's humble enough to recognize I'm an idiot. It's time to go back and realize I, I, need my, I need my dad's help. And what I want you to see today or right now is, the father's response. So it dawns on him, he gets up, and here's what happens in Luke chapter 15 verse 20. It says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The prodigal son's father, it says, has compassion. His compassion is shown in the fact that he, he doesn't care what his son smells like. His compassion is shown and that he embraces him as his son. His compassion for him and his position is not contingent on how stupid his son was. He doesn't, he doesn't hold back his love and his affection from his son because you've been around pigs, a place you shouldn't be around because you stink. He probably came back stinky. I don't stop my compassion because your condition is your fault. That one's bad on me. That one hits me. Sometimes I want to relieve myself of having to have compassion because you got yourself into it. That's on you. Suffer the consequences. And the prodigal son says, no, no, no. I love you. And he embraces him as his son and then puts him right back into the position as his son. The son's like, goes into this speech of like, hey, I'll just be it. And then he's like, no, no, no. Go get the robe for my son because this is my son. And I'm putting him right back as my son because I have compassion. Why does the father why does the prodigal son's dad do that? Why does the father do this action, this behavior, right? You see it in action. He's not, he's not just having an emotion about his son. He responds to his son, and the evidence of his compassion is based on his response to his son. Why? Why does he? And I would argue that there are moments in compassion that we're called to learn from here that are ours. Like we don't even have to second guess whether or not we're called to have compassion in some situations because we know they're ours. Like society, the way God has put us on this planet, where we're at, who we're raised by, who we've given birth to, who we're married to, shows us exactly some moments in our life that we don't have to overthink compassion. They're ours right? You don't need to overthink. Do I need to have compassion for my spouse? No, that's your spouse that you committed to and that God gave you. You are called without a shadow of a doubt to have compassion, Oh, this is my kid. I don't know. They made a stupid decision. I don't know. No. You are called to have compassion because God says it is your moment. It is your time. It's clear that in this moment, you are called to have compassion. You can go down the list. Like with your family, your extended family, you are called because they've been put in your life to have compassion on your family. You are, you are called to figure out how to be compassionate, how to love them well, even when it's difficult. Even when you're like, I don't know, but I've got to come back to the place to ask myself, what is the most compassionate thing I can do. How can I love this son well? And, and in some moments with our family that, that maybe are dealing with drug addictions in a lot of situations, very similar to the prodigal son, it's like in one moment, loving you and having compassion for you is letting you have your prodigal son moment, letting you suffer, letting you struggle, letting you hit your rock bottom, but always being open, always be having your arms wide open for when you're ready to come back. Sometimes the most compassionate thing you can do is say no. Like I love you too much to give you more money for drugs, but I'll help you get into rehab. Sometimes the compassion looks different than, than what you want it to look like, but it can still be the most compassionate thing you can do. The most loving thing to you can do for that person is to just say no, even when it's hard because you decide to get to the root of compassion. Not guilt. No, 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 no. It's not a guilt thing that I've got to deal and respond to my kid and give them the money because they're crying in front of me. No, no, no. I've got to love them well. And compassion might mean saying no. Might might be letting them do what they do, even though, though I know it's going to hurt them. But I'm always hoping. I'm always praying. I'm always believing. I'm always on the front porch, waiting for the moment where they come back and they're ready. Right? That compassion, that difficulty is like, I'm always here. I'm not giving up on you. It's not to shut it off, because that's an easy way for me to go, too. To just be like, well, that's on you. You're going you're gonna to suffer. And you're going to have to suffer. You're going to find out the hard way. No, no, no. I don't want you to have to find out the hard way. But when you do, I'll be here. I don't want you to have to go through that, but if you do, I got your back. I love you because you're mine because the prodigal son shows that it's his. Uh, So there may be a lot of things like that. Your church, like, no, this is mine. I'm going to have compassion and action for my church. I'm going to have compassion and action for my church. Like this is, I'm going to respond in a way that I love my church well and have empathy and connection and my actions show that I'm here. I have compassion for my city, that I'm, I'm building a church where somebody who's lost and hurting and having their prodigal son moment has a place to come back to. My actions show that it's mine. You can go down the list to your country, to the other things around you, your work, your place of employment. It's mine. I'm, this one's mine. So those are maybe uh, the easier ones. Those are maybe the easier ones to recognize. No, that's mine. The issue is, is that you might have to prioritize, right? You, you can't, everyone can't be yours. It just can't. If you, you, you don't have enough capacity, you're not even, you're not Jesus. You can't spread yourself so thin that you have no compassion for your spouse, no compassion for your kids. And that's what we do sometimes. Sometimes we, we have so much compassion at work. We have so much compassion on social media that we're, we're compassion fatigued, is what they call it. And you come home and you've got none left. You're like, no, I'm, I'm loving this person. Oh my gosh, you hear what happened to this person? I'm so sad. And your spouse is like, man, I had a really hard day. Shut up about your hard day. Did you hear about this other stuff that's going on? Like, I don't understand about your hard day. And you're like, what? I just, I wanted you to, yeah. And no, I'm, I've spent all my compassion and I don't have any left for what's mine, for what God has called me to have compassion for. I can't, the prodigal son's father doesn't respond the same way to the servant as he does the son. He can't, there's just no way. Everybody can't be his son, but someone can be his son. You can't respond the same way to the world around you. There are some moments where you have to say no and you have to maybe not look as good as you want to look to the people that are right in front of you because you look good and you matter to the people that matter most. Uh, the best example I have that might sound like a silly example uh, is in uh, pickup lines to pick up your kids from school. If you've ever experienced this, it's a nightmare. I park two blocks away and walk to get my kids because it's such a nightmare for me because I, I lose I lose my pastor role for a moment, like internally, <laughs> like, like... Like I went to Muskogee High School, like my inner gangster starts to come up and I'm like, I don't want to fight these people. I'm twitching like I'll just park and walk. It's better for my relationship with Jesus. It's worth it because what happens inevitably is there is a route that they've given us to drive to pick up our kids. And there happens to be side streets where you can cut in line, which is like that's on you. I'm not letting you in. Don't 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 don't. I'll look at you. I'll look at you like, no, no, no. And I'm like, oh, I have a sticker for the church. They're not going to like that. Just, Just look forward, right? So I have all these deals. But inevitably, they know. Like, you've seen that parent before. They know that there are 20 cars backed up that are going the right way. And they decide to come in across street to try to get in. And I'm like, I just, I don't There's a sense of justice in me. That's like, there's no way we're letting you in. We're in this together. And then inevitably, a car or two up, they let that joker in. You know what I'm saying? Like, they let him in. I'm like. Oh, forget us then. Okay, forget all of us. No, no, forget about us. No, we weren't waiting. We didn't want to pick up our kids. We didn't have nothing to do today except for wait on your kindness for a stranger to cut in line and make me an injustice, right? Like that moment is infuriating for me. And what happens is the person letting them in, man, they're like, look at me. I'm going to pat myself on the back. Like they're about to get out of the car and wave like they're a princess. Like... I'm Mr. Kindness because I let this person in because I'm so kind. I don't want them to wait, but they're kind to the person in front of them and rude to the 20 that have been waiting. And for many of us, we want to look compassionate to the one that's in front of us and say, forget you to the ones that love us the most. The ones that have been there the longest, the ones that cared for us the most. Like, forget you, man. That's on you. I come home. I got time for you. Oh, but at work, I'm so kind and generous and I've got all the compassion in the world. But forget you when I come home. And that's not who God has called us to be. And you might feel a sense of guilt like I can't I can't be as kind to everybody as I am to the ones that matter most. I can't spread myself that thin. I might have to get off of social media at times. I might have to turn the news off because I can't I just can't process it until I learn how to filter it, process and release it to God. I'm going to have to shut it off for a season until I learn because who matters most should get the most of me. And I've got to decide that my compassion deserves to be there. And if you feel guilty, just, I just want you to know, Jesus is going to tell you it's okay. Because it's what he's called you to do. Because when Jesus came, he didn't come for the whole world to start out with. Like his physical body on the earth was not yet for the whole world. He tells them like, I'm, I'm here for the house of Israel first. That's my first order of business is the house of Israel. I'm not here for the world yet. First order of business. The thing that matters most right now is to give Israel the chance. To, to, to accept or reject me, this is my purpose. There's a reason that if you're reading through Scripture and you're confused, he doesn't deal with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is so morally awful, and Jesus doesn't say a word about the Roman Empire. He doesn't deal with any outsiders. He only deals with the Jewish elite because he's here to express it to the Jews, and he's giving all these illusions, all of these these parables to explain, like, they're going to reject me, and I'm going to accept all the Gentiles. All the outsiders are going to be accepted because it's going to happen, and you're not going to like it. But for right now, I'm giving you the chance first. I'm giving you the chance first. And he says it like this, even to the disciples in Matthew chapter uh, 10, verses five and six. He says, these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus even had a priority list. He had a three, he had a 12, and he had Israel while he was still here. And that moment for him is to say for us that like, no, no, you need to prioritize what matters most first so that you can do what matters most when it's the right time. Right. So there was. So so don't get me wrong. There is a moment where Jesus is like, okay I've done what I need to do here so that I can spread myself here. When I prioritized Israel first, now I've opened the gates. The salvation is for the Gentiles. Salvation is for everybody. Now my sacrifice is for all of them. But first I had to put my priorities First, so to recognize that not every moment of compassion is ours that we have to prioritize and not every moment of, 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 of compassion is ours to give out and to act upon and to pour ourselves out for. But there are some moments. Right. So what I'm trying to differentiate for you today is when do I when do I act and when is it just guilt that I'm not called to carry and I'm called to release? When do I take a moment, right? When it's yours, that's simple, right? I know it's mine. These are my people. This is what God has placed me in. I'm supposed to do something. And then there are moments where God is saying, no, this one's yours. Now, I've created you for this moment. I I need you to act here. And it may not be yours. It may not. You may not own it. It may not exactly be yours. It may not be crystal clear to you. But there's this moment where God speaks to you and he says, this is the one I want you to solve. This is the one I want you to hyper-focus on. It happened for a a, a minister by the name of Reverend Everett Swanson in 1952. Everett uh, traveled to South Korea uh, in the midst of their civil war, and he was there to minister to the troops. So those were his, right? This is my country. These are my troops. I'm here to minister to you. I'm here for you. Those were his. And as he's walking the streets, he's noticing there's a civil war in Korea, and he's noticing the orphans that have been left on the street. This civil war, and as he notices this, his heart's breaking, he's super sad. And the next day, he notices like a truck picking up like rags and throwing them into the the back of a truck. And he looks and to his horror finds out they were not rags at all, but they were the dead bodies of the orphans that froze overnight. And it shook him as well as it should. They were left in the street to freeze to death, and there was nobody to do anything about it. And that's the moment where he realized. No, no, not on my watch. Right. Like I'm here for my troops. They're mine. These are not my countrymen. These are not my people. But now I'm going to make them my people because God has moved on my heart and I can't sleep at night until I work on this moment. You know what he could have done? He, He could have said, you know what? There's a lot of really hungry kids in Chicago. I need to work on them first. He could have said, you know what, there's a lot of, my family needs to eat. There's a lot of things around the world I can't fix, so that's really sad. I should just move on. But something moved in him that said, no, no, this one now is mine. God has moved on my heart. I can't fix all the homeless around the world. I can't fix all the hungriness around the world. I can't fix everything in the world, but I can fix this. This one is mine. This one's the one I'm called to move on. So he goes back home and raises support and raises finances, then starts a sponsorship program. And you might know the rest of this story ends up becoming Compassion International, whereas it was one country with a few orphan kids that's now 1.9 million kids that are sponsored and over 2 million that are taken care of around the world because a reverend by the name of Everett Swanson said, this one's mine. And it's not too big to start. Like it may have seemed too overwhelming. I can't fix it all, but I can fix it for this one kid. I can raise enough money for this kid and I can raise enough money for this kid until it becomes something. But you can't fix it all at once. All you can decide is not whether I feel guilty, but do I feel called? I don't need to be driven by guilt because Satan will drag you around the rest of your life carrying around compassion, fatigue and no energy for anything. But if you're called, you move and you act and you know that it's God moving in you and through you and you let God take care of the rest. Like this one's mine. These foster kids are mine. This one's mine. The homeless situation is mine. This one is mine. Whatever yours is, you move because God has called you to move because he's given you something to act upon. It says it like this in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You, have, you, you are created on purpose. The creator of the universe says you're his workmanship. You're not his haphazard leftovers. You're his workmanship. And he's created things for you to do. And if you let Satan drag you around by guilt and by compassion fatigue and trying to solve it all yourself, you're never going to be able to step into the things that God has called you to walk in that are yours. You only have a few things you can do do the best that you can do with what you have now for the ones that you can do them for that God has called you to and let God take care of the rest. Let God move on somebody else's heart for the rest. You can't solve the world's problems. I don't know if you know this yet or not, but you're not Jesus. You're not here to save the world, but you can save the world for some. You can fix it for one or two and you can't wait until there's the best method. Oh, we I going figure it all out and how to do it perfectly. No, just help. And you'll figure it out along the way. That's That one's mine. Sometimes I'll wait and I'll wait until it's the best way to do it. And what I'm challenging you to today is to stop stop with this mindset, well I can't. I can't do it. The question is not whether you can or can't do it. The question is whether you're called to do it. Because if you're his workmanship and if he's got it prepared for you, he's got the provision prepared as well. He's got everything you need to do all that you're called to do today. You don't have to wait for tomorrow to do what God has called you to do today. He'll, he'll provide the bread for tomorrow. Do what you can today and let God take care of the rest. Do what you're called to walk in today. Take the step you're called to walk in today and know that you did the best today that you could and let God take care of all the rest. Just walk one step at a time. So for me in my house, when it comes to compassion, I know that there's at least one kid that was mine. I've got two kids, but there's another kid right now in Ghana, and now a new kid in Guatemala, but one kid in Ghana, if I fail miserably, like I'm, I, like I, I, I you, all of a sudden I lose my voice, y'all don't want to hire me anymore, I'm fired as your pastor, I'm terrible, I'll take care of my wife, I'll take care of my kids, and then there was this one kid named Meshach, that for 10 years we've we sponsored through compassion, and I'll know that at least, at the very least, I was able to, to provide something for him for food and for clothing and for shelter and a church connected to that he, he could survive and know that there's someone around the world. It's not just his country. There's someone around the world that cares for him. So at the very least, I've done something. I can't sponsor all the kids. I can't. You, there's just too many out there and they've got more to put on the board. You can't sponsor all of them. You can't fix the world's problem. But for me and my house, we can with one because we're called to. And God has provided every step of the way and will continue to provide because what you're called to step into, whether it's a sponsorship out there, something at home, something that you're called to do, that you're called to step into, God will provide. All you have to do is step. Step into what you're called to walk into with the compassion he's got for you and let God take care of the rest. Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. The first time you do that, it's gonna send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.